Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. For our family, watching the evening news was always a sort of a fun and pleasurable thing to do. But right now, quite honestly, it's sort of a, a scary thing to do. We don't look forward to seeing the news because the news is filled with bad news. The idea of states shutting down their borders, shelter at home orders in place not too far from us, and the National Guard even being called out in a number of states to take care of this COVID-19 pandemic that has so spread across our world. And while there are not many cases of COVID-19 in our immediate community, the honest truth is that all of us have felt the economic impact of COVID-19 in our community. Those who run restaurants and places where people would visit are obviously out of work. There is financial distress, economic distress. And as a church, we've been working, trying to figure out the best ways to be able to provide for the needs of the people and care for us during those difficult times. Last week, we talked about this whole topic of anxiety, and we looked at Jesus' words on anxiety from Matthew chapter 6. And since there is so much anxiety and fear in our culture today, we're going to continue to talk about the topic of anxiety, except this time we're going to talk about Paul's words on anxiety. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, where he is going to give us his words about anxious times and how to stand tough or how to stand strong when times are tough. Now, by the way, Paul is extremely qualified to talk to us about how to stand strong for Christ when times are tough. We're going to be studying the letter of Philippians in chapter 4, and we have to understand that even when Paul wrote that letter, he was writing from a Roman jail that every stroke of his pen was followed by the clink of the chains on his arms. Roman jails were not comfortable. They didn't have cable TV. Paul didn't have fur-lined handcuffs. They, they were a terrible place to be. So Paul understood tough times. But if we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find out that Paul went through many more tough times other than just that Roman jail. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that Paul had endured many beatings. He had also been stoned and left for dead. Three times he had been beaten with rods. Paul had been shipwrecked in a, a drift on the open sea. Many times he lived with people who were, who were looking to take his life, and he lived with that constant fear. Paul oftentimes experienced hunger. He experienced exposure. He experienced cold. Paul understood tough times. He understood how to stand strong for Christ in tough times. So he had a lot of authority to speak to the Philippians about standing strong for Christ when times are tough. And he has a lot of authority to speak to us today about how to stand strong for Christ when our times are tough. 
So I'd like you to follow along with me in God's word as we turn to Philippians chapter four. We're gonna read first verse four and then we're gonna read verses four through eight, which will be the key text that we'll be studying this morning. Follow along with me in your copy of God's word. First beginning in verse four, or chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then picking up in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That ends the reading of God's word. What we find as we look at these verses is Paul tells us four choices that we need to make in tough times to be able to stand strong for Christ. The first one is this. I must choose to find my joy in the Lord, not in my circumstances. We want to choose to find our joy in the Lord, not in our circumstances. Let me show you how this verse reads. Paul says here we have to rejoice, but how are we supposed to rejoice? We're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. And how often are we to rejoice? We're to rejoice always. And Paul recognizes that many people just are going to be struck by that. And so he says, again, I will say, rejoice. Difficult times. The last thing we have is joy. When we look at our circumstances, they certainly are not encouraging. We look at our circumstances and that they are depressing. Now, is Paul just telling us here that we need to sort of suck it up? have a, a, a stiff upper lip and be joyful? No. Remember what we just read. As Christians, we are to find our joy, he says, in the Lord. We're not to find our joy in our circumstances, which are depressing as Christians. We're to find our joy in Jesus, which never changes. Folks, no matter what, no matter what happens to us, the Bible tells us that God loves us, that God will not abandon us, that God promises to be with us. The bottom line is that having Jesus and being known by Jesus, being loved by Jesus, is reason to have joy enough. No matter what our circumstances are, we still can be filled with joy because of Jesus. Now let me think about this comparatively to explain it to you. What would you rather be? 
Would you rather be a millionaire who is today on a beach in a tropical island in complete comfort but never know Jesus? Or would you rather be a COVID-19 patient in the hospital who is suffering but to have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Folks, think about this. The millionaire at the end of the day will spend eternity in hell. The COVID-19 patient, whether he recovers or not, will spend eternity in the very presence of God, which is known as the place of fullness of joy for all of eternity. That is why we have joy in spite of our circumstances because we have a relationship with the Lord. It sort of reminds me when Cindy and I were first engaged and when we were first married, we had absolutely nothing. I remember the scraping and trying to figure how to even get together the deposit for our tiny little apartment with our cardboard box furniture. But I'll tell you something. When we were there and we were married, we had a smile on our face. Didn't matter what the trials were in life that we faced because the joy of being married eclipsed all them. They overshone all them. The joy of the relationship with one another just completely eclipsed the, the trials of the life that we faced in that day. And folks, it's the same thing, except it's with our relationship with Jesus, not in our relationship with our spouse here. The joy of knowing God, the joy of being loved by God, of having a personal relationship with God is far more satisfying than anything this world can offer. That is why we find our joy in Jesus, not in our circumstances. That is why, in spite of difficult times and tough times that we face, Christians are different in the world around us because Christians still have joy. It's not coming from our world around us. It's coming from Christ and knowing Him. Incidentally, it reminds me also of a very similar thing that happened in the book of Habakkuk. Let's read the text about Habakkuk. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is talking about a time in Israel when they were suffering complete and utter economic collapse. As an agricultural uh, place, they had absolutely no crops in those days. The animals were literally dying in front of them of starvation. But Habakkuk said, there is still joy. There is joy to be had by looking to God and the relationship that they had with them. The God who would be their salvation in times of trouble and salvation in times of difficulty. This is the exact same thing that Paul is telling us, but it's found in Habakkuk in the Old Testament. 
while we're in this section, I think it's also worth, worth me telling you, by the way, that um, God doesn't make mistakes. In fact, the word oops is not in God's vocabulary. As this pandemic is spreading around the world, some people wonder, is God in charge of this? What is God doing about this? And I have to tell you that as Christians, we have a promise from God that he promises to use every trial that comes our way and he will use it for our good and he will use it for his glory. Now, he doesn't say that for those who don't know Jesus, but he does say that for those of us who do know Jesus. I don't know what the weeks and the months and the days ahead will hold. They may be very difficult times, but God promises to use them for our good, to have us fall more deeply in love with Jesus, and he promises, he promises to use them for his glory. We see this promise coming in Romans 8.28. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love God, that's us, God will work all things together for good. Let me give you an example for that. Think about Job. Job went through tough times. He went through deep trials. But did God use those trials for good? Did God use those trials for his glory? Oh, most certainly, yes. What happened was Job ended up loving God more at the end than he ever loved God at the beginning. God got more glory after the trial than he ever went had before Job's trial. In fact, there's even a book of the Bible that came out of that to teach us about how to work through suffering in hard times. So you see how God always does what is good and he always does good for us and he brings glory to his name even in the midst of trials. Now, why we are uh, on this idea of us having joy in spite of our circumstances and that joy being found in the Lord. Let me give you another example of that and why it is so important for us to be joyous from Jesus in this time. The example actually comes from Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel in the city of Philippi and the people in the city uh, were irritated with them. They dragged them before the magistrates Paul and Silas were beaten with rods at that time. They were put in the prison that night. Their feet were put in the stocks. They were in complete and total pain. And yet, what does the Bible tell us that they were doing at that time? Were they whining? Were they complaining about their circumstances around them which were no good? No, actually, they were finding joy. They were rejoicing in the Lord while in jail. Look what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, 
Now, it's interesting because it says the prisoners were listening to them. The word listening there is a very interesting Greek word. It literally means that the prisoners were eavesdropping on them. The prisoners were wondering, how could the, these guys be beaten? How could they have their feet in stocks? Yet they were being filled with joy and prayer and singing to God instead of focusing on the pain and adversity of their circumstances. It was a big question mark in the other prisoners' mind. Many of you know how the story continues. That there was a sudden earthquake and all the jail doors swung open and then the chains fell off everyone's wrists and ultimately the Philippian jailer came rushing in and nobody had left. And the Philippian jailer came to Christ. And it doesn't say in the text, but no doubt I expect many other prisoners came to Christ that night. Now I want you to think about this. What would it have been like if Paul and Silas were busy whining and complaining about their circumstances while they were in, in that jail and the other prisoners were listening? Would God have opened the jail doors? Would God have set them free? We don't know. What would their ability be to witness to the Philippian jailer if they were whining during the night instead of finding joy in Jesus during the night? Folks, when we find joy in Christ and display joy in Christ in tough times, this is one of the most powerful ways that we can be a witness to the world that our joy is not found in our circumstances, that we have something better than circumstances can offer. We have Jesus. So this week, I challenge you to be filled with joy that comes from God alone. So the first choice we have to make is to find our joy in Jesus, not in our circumstances. The second choice we have to make is this. We must choose gentleness with people instead of irritability. Now if we look at the text here, it says, let your reasonableness be known to who? Everyone. Then the other thing we're going to come and study is this. Why do we have to do that? Because the Lord is at hand. So let's study this word reasonableness because it's a very interesting word. If you uh, have some translations, your translation will say, let your gentleness be known to everyone. In fact, the ESV's footnote happens to say here that uh, another good translation for reasonableness is gentleness. The Greek word here means that as people, we should be known for our kindness and gentleness towards one another. Now, we're to have the joy that we have from Jesus actually flow into our relationships with other people. And that doesn't sound like it's too difficult until you realize the context. This is all about having joy in not just ordinary times, having joy in the tough times. When you are tired, when you are stressed, when your world is falling apart, that is when we are to be gentle with other people, not irritable and nasty towards other people. 
when other people are irritable and when they're stressed and they're nasty to us. That is when we're to be kind, merciful, and gentle towards them, even when they're not that way toward us. And by the way, you notice that Paul says this kindness and gentleness and reasonableness is not just to be displayed towards our friends and family, but it's to be displayed to everyone, even the people that we may not normally love or have any great affection toward. Let me give you an example of a time when I failed on this one. A few years ago, I was having a, a garage door installed on my house. And I went home from the office and I wanted to find out how the garage door install was going. And it was happening in ways I didn't expect. The garage door installer had a big, huge radio and he had set it up in my garage and he had the radio blasting at the top of its volume. Now, it was blasting rock music. I normally like rock music, but this really wasn't the kind of rock music I was used to. It was one of those rock musics where the singer sort of sounds like Darth Vader the whole time. You know, I'm thinking, this is not good. And every few words would be an explicative. In my garage, this guy is having a rock concert. Not only that, but he is air guitaring the whole time he is trying to do the install work, plus he is singing with the music like he would sing in the shower. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I am paying you to install my garage door, not have your personal rock concert in my garage. Thankfully, I was able to keep my mouth shut for that time. But when I went and looked at the garage door, I found out some of the fasteners were in the wrong place. And they had to come back and move them around, leaving empty bolt holes in what were brand new garage doors because the installer was so busy having a rock concert instead of doing his job. At the time, I was pretty stressed. And I ended up writing an email and I sent that email to the person in charge of that installation for the garage door. And the next morning, I sort of thought to myself, I wish I had attached a fishing line to it so I could reel it back in before they actually read it. Because it certainly wasn't gentle. It certainly wasn't kind. It certainly wasn't reasonable. And what I realized is in that moment, people were realizing that my joy was coming from my circumstances. My joy was not coming from my Lord. And it was overflowing in my relationships to other people. Instead of being gentle and reasonable and kind with them, I was being irritable and nasty to them. This is exactly what Paul is telling us to avoid. Because when we're kind and gentle in stressful situations, you know what happens? It opens people's minds to hearing the gospel. What they say is, you're so stressed. Life is so difficult, but why are you so kind? Why are you so gentle? Why do you have joy? That opens the door, my friends, to talking about Jesus. And that is what we are to do in this time. In addition, by the way, he, he gives us some help as to how we can do that. Let your reasonableness be evident to all because he says, why? Remember the Lord is at hand. Now, what does that mean? 
consistently in Scripture, when it talks about the Lord being at hand, that talks about the nearness of Christ's return or the nearness of us going to be with Christ and to see Christ. And there's great wisdom in this. Because when you think about it, many of us have what? 30, 40, 50 or less years until we will be home with the Lord. And when we're home with the Lord, in His presence, which is described as fullness of joy, those things in our relationships with other people that had us so upset, that had us so irritated, will they really even matter then? Will we even be able to remember them then when we're experiencing joy with Christ? Chances are we won't. So what Paul is saying here is, I know when there's relationship with other people and stressful times, when people are getting irritable with one another, take a long view. Be gentle, be kind, be reasonable with people. That's a choice we have to make. Folks, the things that people do to hurt you won't matter in 30 or 40 years when you're with Jesus. And when we're irritable and nasty back to people in stressful times, all we do is shut down our witness to Christ when in tough times we have a especially good opportunity to be a witness for Christ, for where our joy comes from. Now the next choice that he tells us we have to make is this. I must choose prayer, he says, says instead of anxiety. I must choose prayer instead of anxiety. The verse says this, do not be anxious. And what are we supposed to be, not be anxious about? About anything. But then in everything, then he gives a number of words for prayer. By prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is the way that God responds to the needs of his people. We must remember that. Prayer is the way that God responds to our needs. In Scripture, we see Luke chapter 11, verse 9, where Jesus says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And then in James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You do not have simply because you do not ask. We have a God who loves to respond to our needs, but he responds to our prayers as we are seeking him to help us in our time of need. We see this a number of times in the scriptures. For instance, in Acts chapter 12, we find Peter was in prison, but the church was offering up earnest prayer for him. And God supernaturally took him out of the prison that night in response to the prayers of the people. Or you can go to 2 Kings chapter 19 where uh, the Assyrians had surrounded Israel and Hezekiah set out to pray and God struck 185 Assyrians dead that night, completely fighting the battle for his people so they didn't even have to lift a finger. At this time, when we are facing a pandemic that is hitting the global community and it is also hitting our community. The proper response for us is to pray because God responds to the prayers of his people. 
I don't know if you've been praying for God's mercy on this uh, personally or you've been praying with your spouse about this or praying with your family about this or with your church friends and brothers and sisters about this. But I encourage you, if you have not been praying, begin praying for God's mercy. Begin praying for God's healing. Now as we jump into this verse that we're studying here, what Paul says is we are not to be anxious about things, but we are to pray about things. Whereas we would say it here, whenever I experience anxiety, God wants my reflective response to be prayer. As soon as I feel anxious about the future, I am immediately to pray about the future. Reminds me about the story of a, a man who went to the, the doctor and he had two burned ears. And the doctor asked him what happened. He said, well, I was ironing my shirt and the phone rang and I just couldn't help myself. And he burned his ear. And the doctor said, well, that explains one ear, but what about the other? He said, well, they called back. <laughs> now, that's a little funny joke, but the truth is there are some things we just do by reflex and we can't help ourselves. What Paul is saying here is as soon as we start to experience anxiety, as soon as we start to be overwhelmed with anxiety about the future, our reflex response instantly should be to go to God in prayer. By the way, he says here, God wants me to pray about all things, not just the big things. Because he said, pray about everything. Right now, I know that it's, many people tend to think, well, God is busy handling the pandemic. I'll let the people who are praying about life and death issues uh, talk to him right now. God doesn't necessarily need to hear my prayers about, Lord, help me find my car keys because I lost them. <laughs> Folks, you need to understand that God's prayer connection is much faster than the speed of your internet connection. He has no problem handling all of our requests about everything, even the small things, while he was responding to the prayer requests of people who are wrestling with big things. An additional thing I should mention to this is, by the way, the reason we're supposed to pray about all things, even little things, is sometimes little problems have a way of mushrooming into big problems. And we should be praying about those things when they're still little, not just when they actually become big. Sort of reminds me uh, what would normally be happening at this time if we went to the Baumgars in the spring. They usually have those little chickens that are there. And I know what it was like when our kids were, were young and we would go into bomb cars and they'd see those chickens and they'd say, Daddy, can't we bring one home? They're so small. They're so cute. And part of you starts to rationalize it. It's just a little bird. It couldn't be much of a problem. But you know what happens if you actually bring one home and then you feed it? It grows. In almost no time at all, it goes from being a little problem to a big problem that is pooping all over your house. And it's the same thing. God wants us to pray about all things, big things and little things, because before you know it, little problems can become big problems. And we shouldn't just start praying about those things when they actually become big. Another thing that Paul tells us here, 
God wants me to pray all kinds of prayers. In fact, there's a smattering of different words in here to describe the different kinds of prayers that he wants us to pray. There's the word prayer in there, which literally is a general term for prayer. So we should pray about general things. The Greek word behind the English word supplication literally means urgent requests for urgent needs. So we pray about general things. We pray about urgent things. The word requests literally means specific requests for specific needs. And the idea Paul is saying here is we pray about specific things. We pray about urgent things. We pray about all things all the time. As soon as we have anxiety, the reflexive response in our life, go to prayer. He also tells us one other thing. When we pray, even in times of anxiety, we want to be filled with thanksgiving in our prayers. The point is this. My prayers should not just be asking God for things. They should be thanking God for what he has already done. I don't know about how it has worked for you, but when we give things to people, when we send them checks and those kind of things, it's customary to get a, a thank you note back from them in the mail. Now, I don't know if this has just skipped a generation, but I found that oftentimes when you give things to younger people, you may not get a thank you note back. I'm just going to tell you that when you don't get a thank you note back and you have given them something and you've sacrificed something for them, it sort of makes you feel weird after a while. Doesn't it start to make you feel like they're actually sort of ungrateful because they couldn't take a few moments to thank you? Isn't that the same thing that goes on in our prayer life with Jesus? Especially when we're in tough times. Especially when we're in difficult times. Oftentimes we're offering urgent requests. Spe specific requests. Truly needed requests. And when God answers our prayers, what must we always do? Take the time to send a thank you note. Take the time to show our appreciation to him to stop and thank him for what he's done. When it comes to how to structure our prayers, there was a, an acrostic that was taught to me when I was young. It's called the Acts Acrostic. And it was uh, hopefully to design how we should do our times in prayer when we pray to God. Let me go over that with you and hopefully it'll be helpful for you this week. The way I was taught to pray was you always want to start with A, which stands for adoration. You want to begin our prayer time by thanking God for who he is, thanking God for what he has done for us through Jesus Christ, put the focus at the very beginning of our times in prayer on worshiping God and thanking God for his kindness, his character, and his amazing goodness. The second thing, the C of the acrostic, is confession. Now, I want to admit, many of us forget that time in our prayer to examine our heart for the sinfulness of our heart and to confess our sin to God. Yet that is one of the best things we can do in our times of prayer. And then we go to the T of the acrostic, which is to thank God. Thank God for the way he has answered our prayers in big things and in little things. To get our focus on gratitude rather than demand. And the last 
word of the acrostic acts is supplication, which simply means in this one, requests. So we are to adore God, and then we are to confess our sin to God. We are to express our thanksgiving to God for how he has answered our prayers in the past, and then offer our supplications to God for how we are to pray and ask for him our needs in the future. I hope that is very helpful for you as it guides your prayer life this week. Now, there's a very interesting verse that continues this line of thought, and I love this verse in this section. Paul says that when we pray or when we experience anxiety, we are immediately to go to God in prayer, and when we pray, you know what God promises to do? He promises to replace our anxiety with supernatural peace. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have to understand, it says the peace of God. God does not experience anxiety. God is the most chilled out being in the entire universe, folks. Nothing is taking God by surprise. Nothing is out of God's control. God has everything under control. He exists in perfect and complete peace. And God's got this really cool exchange program going on that when his children experience anxiety and we go to him in prayer, he will replace our anxiety with supernatural peace. Now I want to ask you, have you experienced that peace? Have you experienced that supernatural sort of feeling of it's going to be okay and I got everything under control that sort of washes over your soul? when you're on your knees calling out to God for mercy in your time of need? I've experienced it. All of us can experience it today. God doesn't necessarily promise to answer all of our prayers the way we want them to be answered, but he does promise to replace our anxiety with peace when we come to him in prayer. Every single time. Oh, folks, that is incredibly good. Right now, in this COVID-19 world, where everything is filled with anxiety, where everything is filled with fear, this is the time where we need to get on our knees. We need to pray and give God all of our fears. God promises to give us supernatural peace that nobody else could understand. Peter talks about this same thing. He says, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We give our anxieties to God knowing he loves us. Isaiah talks about the same thing. Isaiah 26 verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, let's go to the fourth point. I must choose God-honoring thoughts instead of evil or unhelpful thoughts. 
I must choose God-honoring thoughts instead of evil or unhelpful thoughts. Jesus says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. My friends, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Philippians. Paul pleads with us, rein our minds in, because during these times of stress and difficulties, our minds tend to drive us crazy. You see, our minds can reach into the past through memories and imagine the worst moments in our life. And then our minds can reach into the future with our imaginations and repeat those moments in our life. And our minds can quickly become filled with anxiety. Our mind can become filled with things that are evil and thoughts that are unhelpful. And Paul says, in times of stress and trouble, refuse to think those negative things, those depressing things. Don't entertain those thoughts. Only think about things that are lovely, commendable, excellent, pure. You see, the way our mind goes is the way our actions will go. That is the way advertising works. If an advertiser can get you thinking about a product, they know that if you're thinking about it, you will eventually go and act on it. You will go and purchase it. So if our mind is thinking about unhelpful things, if our mind is thinking about evil things, sinful things, and depressing things, what will we actually do with our life? We will start acting upon those evil things. We'll start being geek, being controlled by those depressing things. We have to guard our minds in tough times. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says this, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a seer and pure devotion to Christ. The way Satan attacked Eve was by her mind. If Satan could get Eve thinking about the forbidden fruit, imagining all the things that would come from eating the forbidden fruit, eventually Satan knew that Eve would go out and eat, <laughs> would go out and take the forbidden fruit. So Satan's attacks in our lives, folks, always come in our mind first because where our mind goes is where our actions will go. And in these tough times, and in these stressful times, rest assured that Satan is going to attack you and me in our mind to help us begin to think unhelpful thoughts, depressing thoughts, evil thoughts. Because where our thought life goes is where our real life will go. Our fantasies are only one step removed from our realities. 
This is why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought in our mind should obey Jesus. Years ago, there was a little bracelet people would wear that said, what would Jesus do? And the idea was that we were to think, what would Jesus do? And we were to do those things. But this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, reminds us, reminds us we should also ask, what would Jesus think? We should only think the kind of things that Jesus would think. That we should banish our, from our minds unhelpful and unedifying thoughts and only think things that are good, helpful, and true. Let me give you one practical way to do that right now. If you're like our family, you've often found yourself glued to the news. Not just once a day, but constantly throughout the day because things are changing. The problem is the more we look at the news in our life, the more anxiety and stress we find in our life. Isn't that true? I mean, we already know the basic things. Don't lick doorknobs. Make sure you wash your hands, which is what your mother's been telling you all along. Uh, pretty much stay home and avoid contact with people. We've got the message. Don't look at the news every minute of the day and fill your mind with anxiety, worry, and fear. Maybe look at the news once a day and try and fill your mind with other positive things during the other hours of the day. Look what the scripture says in Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, speaking about the righteous man. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And what is the life of someone like who delights in God's word and who meditates on God's word? says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Something more edifying for you to do right now with your mind than constantly look at the news is to open God's word. And don't just read God's word because you have to read God's word, but read God's word because you want to read God's word. And as this psalm tells us, God's word will always build your mind up. It'll fill your mind with thoughts that are good, wholesome, and true. I mean, if you're stuck at home and there's not much else you can do, one of the best things we can do is finally take time to actually read the Bible when we're often too busy to sit down and touch the Bible. This is a unique opportunity to saturate our mind with things that are good, wholesome, and true. So my friends, I ask you, how do we stand strong for Christ when times are tough? Paul gives us four choices we need to make. Number one, we need to make sure we find our joy at this time in Jesus, not in our circumstances. And when we find our joy in Jesus, in spite of our circumstances, it's an incredible witness to the world around us. Number two, we have to choose gentleness and kindness in place of irritability when we're with people. 
And when we are gentle and kind, when times are stressful, when times are difficult, it's a unique opportunity to share our witness to the world. The third choice we need to make is to replace our anxiety by prayer. And when we replace our anxiety by prayer, God promises to give us a supernatural peace that the world cannot understand. And lastly, to be able to stay strong in Christ, we have to take our thoughts captive to Christ and refuse at this time to think about things that are unhelpful, that are evil, that are not positive, but we want to continue to think about things that are wholesome, good, joyful, and true. My friends, this week, stand strong for Christ when times are tough and make these four important choices to do that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is so practical. It is so needed. It guides us when we are weak and it helps us when we are lost. Thank you for these words from Paul and he wrote in Philippians about standing strong for you in these tough times. And I pray that this week we would do that. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.